We acknowledge and pay our respects to the Ghana people, the traditional custodians whose ancestral lands we've recorded this podcast on. We acknowledge the deep feelings of attachment and the relationship of the Ghana people to country, and we respect and value their past, present and ongoing connection to the land and cultural beliefs. Hello and welcome to Leveling Up, your leadership podcast. My name is Ali Clark and I'll be your host as we unpack the leadership journey brought to you by Professional and Continuing Education at the University of Adelaide. The podcast will bring you all the tools, tips and insights to help you unlock your leadership potential and get the most from your team. We'll be talking to South Australian leaders from all walks of life as they share their leadership stories and we'll support your lifelong learning with the latest leadership thinking and advice from the university facilitators to provide the essential guide to levelling up your leadership. Our next guest didn't tread the traditional path to leadership in the corporate world, right? He started his career as a professional sportsman and then he transferred from the football pitch to the boardroom and is now advocating for the state's multi-billion dollar property industry. I'm talking about Bruce Jeté, the Executive Director of the Property Council in South Australia. Bruce Jeté, what do you think it means to be a leader? I think being a leader involves a few things, but essentially it's the ability to have people willing and able to follow you, bringing people along a journey. How do you motivate them? How do you keep them motivated once they are? How do you speak to them? How do you deal with them? How do you make them better? How do you bring fulfilment to their life? right? And I don't know, you deal with people from different generations and different backgrounds, etc. You know, you've got to understand the nuances of why people think the way they do, why people act the way they do, believe the things they do, and be able to sort of tap into that. I think I've been very lucky in my life to have had a lot of experiences, been in a lot of places, different cultures, met a lot of people and got a, I would argue, a good understanding for how humans generally think, notwithstanding that everyone's an individual and a little bit different in their own way. Well, let's go with your experience because you've had a very varied one. Um, Being a very successful footballer for many, many years and then going into the corporate world. Now, is it easier to be a leader under the structure of a professional sporting team than it is to be a leader in business? Uh, 100% yes just because you're dealing with a different calibre of human. I mean, everyone in that change room has their own story and their own battle scars and a certain level of resilience, a certain level of talent, a certain level of motivation that has afforded them to arrive into that particular room. Whereas in the general populace, if you like, you have people who are there because they're super motivated. They are like the athlete. They're super motivated. They're driven, pride in their work. They want to be the best. They want to be a future leader perhaps or et cetera, whatever. Then you've got people who are there who don't want to be there. They're actually looking for other jobs on the side, but they're (laughs) there because they can't afford financially to leave today and not go to something tomorrow. Problem children. Then you've got other people who are there, they're complacent and or lazy and they just are happy to get a paycheck and if they did that job for the next 50 years, they're satisfied. They're not happy, they're not sad, they just want to cruise. And there's all different types of people in between those examples I just gave. So to motivate a team that has individuals that are inherently 
not motivated, don't particularly care about the business or the outcomes, makes it much more challenging in a non-elite athletic environment. And I see that with like feedback. Give me an example. You hurt people's feelings. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, no, no. I just want you to be better. <laughs> but isn't there, wouldn't there also be an argument, though, that that is changing on the sporting field as well? You spoke about different generations that, mm. you know, and we, we see it. Maybe we hear more about it in AFL because it's a little bit more focused Prominent and sport. open. Mm. Yeah. Where the old bake doesn't work anymore. Yeah, and I'm not you know? a, but, but, completely agree. I think it's few and far between that a successful coach today can go about baking their players. Mm-hmm. That's not going to work, but I think it's just the words chosen. So, like, if you go to a corporate environment, like, you even saying, hey, I really think it's important that we improve this part of your role. Like, you've got to tread so carefully, and even that will upset them. So, that lack of resilience, that lack of, you know, because these are people who potentially will never get to that elite level or they've got no interest to be that, which is fine. That's fine. But one of the most difficult transitions for me going from sport into corporate world has just been, wow, look, people actually don't like taking responsibility. <laughs> like, like, like in sport, you're well, like, give me the ball. You know, but that you is, get the but ball, that is everyone's screaming to get the pass, yeah. right? Everyone wants the ball. Everyone wants to show what they can do. Every, everyone. It's uniform. Like, that's in my bones. And if something goes wrong, doesn't matter. We'll make it better next time. You take risks, all that sort of stuff. That doesn't... It, like, if, if you have that in a corporate sense, you can very quickly outperform because while that's baked into us as humans, because you had it since you were like eight, you know... Those people are actually from a completely different world where they're like, that's pressure. It's like, no, 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 that's responsibility. They feel that way, it weighs it down. I, I don't think it's, it's horses for courses. It works for some people, but God, there'd be a lot, a greater proportion of fantastic businesses if, mm-hmm. if, if, if that mentality was broadly within their culture. You've had quite a few different roles and different life lessons, obviously, um, since leaving football. Listening to you now, do you think you upset people with your leadership style? I don't think so. No, 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 no. Do you think people Um, would find it upsetting to hear what you've just said? Probably, but that's a reality. So then how do you change that? Yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm very honest. Bruce, I've known you for a long time. (laughs) I know, I want to see what... And I think that's important because then everyone always knows where they stand. So then how I've do you lucky. change that, though, that messaging and that understanding when here it is and this is how you might perceive your workforce or the people that you're leading? How do you then ensure that you can lead them when there would be people there that you might not necessarily feel a respect of? Mm. Well, just disclaimer, I've been very lucky in my roles to work with actually very good people, but... I've overwhelmingly been able to shape the people who work within the organisations I've worked because I've been lucky enough to be the leader of that organisation. So I come from a very sort of privileged view on, on this. Mm-hmm. Um, so my people have been great. People I've dealt with <laughs> often haven't been. Um, so hence my earlier comments. 
But I think language is really important and tone is really important. So in sport, it's very much just tell me. I don't want you to um, sugarcoat, sugarcoat it. it. Mm. Just tell me and we're going to get on much better because when you sugarcoat and, and the outcome or action doesn't connect with the sugarcoating message you might have given a month or two months prior, you've got a conflict. Whereas now it's like sugarcoat and try and get people to read between the lines to what you're actually saying. Mm-hmm. That's the key sort of difference, which is fine, but it's been a big adjustment for me in terms of, wow, I actually prefer the sugar coat <laughs> as opposed to – so that's been the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, a big difference. I mean, I guess that is the nature of sport though. The, it, it, sport exists with immediate feedback, either yeah. the time you set or the way you play or whatever, and that feedback is public and just relentless. The feedback yeah. loop yeah. is constant. You studied a Bachelor of Business while you were a professional athlete. You got an award for academic excellence. Did you always have a plan after football of exactly where you wanted to go and you wanted to be in business? Uh, I did have a plan. I think when I was about 23, I'd come back from Turkey and I sort of thought to myself, you know what, probably won't play for Arsenal or Real Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> Which means, and even if I had, like, education so important anyway. Mm. Um, my dad was an academic, so it was sort of drilled into us from an early age. But what really sort of drove me to study was during my time on the PFA board. So the Football Association. So, yep. yep. That's the union body that represents all the players, Matilda Socceroos, all elite players, uh, professional players around the world. A-League, etc., and we'd get hardship fund applications and you'd look at the names and you'd be like, wow, these guys had great careers. What do you mean they mm. need the support support or mental And I thought, you know what? I never want to be in that position. I want to be in control of my own destiny and to have choices. I need to find out what else I'm interested in and f- subsequent to that, I need to find out what else I'm actually good at because people used to tell you all the time, long time retired, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the key motivator for starting. So I'll do a Bachelor of Business, broad, major in finance. My brother was is, is still an investment banker. Oh, what they do is pretty cool. I want to get involved in that. And then he actually gave me some advice, saying like, well, by the time you retire, you know, people my age, he's my younger brother, would have been doing 12 or 14 years of deals. And you're going to be coming in working, let me tell you, 16-hour days. Mm, mm. <laughs> you won't be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the back of that, I shifted to a management major because it's broader and it speaks more to my qualities anyway, managing people, managing organisations. I was really interested in international relations, mainly because I lived overseas in interesting countries, China. It's been topical at the moment mm-hmm. with the trade and all that sort of stuff. South Korea, that was topical at the time because Trump was the president of the US and during my time in Turkey, they were really keen on getting into the EU in the early 2000s. So that was really interesting. Um, so I lived in these countries where geopolitics was just so acute, much more than here. Australia's so far away from everything. <laughs> you know? um, so... 
international relations and game theory and negotiation and strategy and that was really interesting part of my of, of my study and then I, that that's where the passion came where I was like actually I'm really interested in this and it got to a point where I was more interested in that than I wasn't going to training and I thought that was a bit of a fact at the time <laughs> you'll get over it you have these ups and downs and yeah that's right you have these ups and downs and you get over but I really had a passion for that and that's what drove me with uni and 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 all the rest so yeah, lucky to find what I was passionate about outside of football, and that gave me the that empowered me to decide when I retired. Mm-hmm. So I retired when I was almost thirty three. Could have played for probably another two or three years, um, but I was like, no, nah, this is it now. I'm more interested in this stuff. This is cool. No idea where I was going to land. No idea what I was going to do. Um, but I've had a lucky journey since. How'd you get the first gig, CEO of Committee for Adelaide? I was at Brett Ebert's wedding. The recruiter for the role was sitting opposite me. And she actually said, hey, I'm recruiting for a role. I reckon you might be good at it. I'm like, okay, what's the role? Committee for Adelaide CEO. I said, okay. It's Committee for Adelaide, what's it do, blah, blah, blah. I had a little bit of background. I'd heard of it, but wasn't entirely Mm. sure. She gave me a bit of a spiel. I said, you know what? I've actually never been interviewed for anything. I'd always been tapped on the shoulder for things. Mm come do this. We'd love you to do that. So I said, you know what? I sure want to go through an interview process. I didn't want to leave Adelaide United. I really enjoyed my role. So I started the process, got to the next stage. Okay. Got to the next stage. I thought, okay. And then it got to a point where it was like, you know, David Lloyd, vice chancellor of UniSA, chair at the time, um, he wants to have dinner with you. And I'm like, hold on a second. How close am I to getting this gig? Because I haven't spoken to anyone. I haven't told my wife. <laughs> I haven't told my... Haven't told Adel- you know, Nathan Cosmina, the CEO of Adelaide United. I haven't told anyone. I'm assuming he's not having five dinners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, you're one of the last few sort of thing. I thought, okay. Yeah, better start. Like, like, Spreading the word. I, yeah, like, wow. Like, there might be a decision to be made here. <laughs> So let the CEO know. He's like, we don't have to replace you. I said, nah, man, I'm not going to get it anyway. Maybe they're just being nice. (laughs) Anyway, got offered the role. And then for me, it was really football's not big enough in this country. It's massive globally. So I thought, you know what? I don't want to move again because I'd moved everywhere and I just wanted to settle down. Kids just started school. If you lose your job as a football director at Adelaide United or whatever, you've got to move into state. Like there's, there's <laughs> another option, yeah. right? So to prove to myself, to prove to others, I also didn't want to just be the football guy. Oh, yeah, he was a good player. He does a bit of media and he's the football director, you know. And then five or six or seven years' time, a role comes up that you really want and but you're just tired as the football guy, you know. So it's like, look, I need to prove to other people like, can do a lot more than just football. Um, all those factors, the challenge of increasing the prominence of the committee for Adelaide and all those things, I was like, I love a challenge. Like, it's just so natural to me. It. People might be like, you know, oh, that's a risk. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. No Let me see. If I'm no good, I'm no good. If, if, I, if I am, we'll be successful. And I just took a leap of faith, really. You mentioned a couple of age deadlines. You mentioned that your younger brother mm. gave you the advice, well, hang on, mate, if this is what you're going, you might be coming to this a little bit late. Mm. So did you find that coming into this corporate world in your 30s 
had challenges that you didn't expect? No. It's heaps easier than playing football. I'll give you the hot tip. <laughs> I said to the players all the time, I said, this is the hardest job you will ever have. Like, I got in trouble once for sending an email in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> I have a disclaimer at the bottom of my email now saying, I might work uh, out of your ordinary hours. Please reply to this email when it is convenient for yours. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, but that's the world, right? Mm -hmm. So I say to footballers, and even as football director, you're fielding calls from Argentina, Germany, Brazil at 2 a.m. You don't answer them. At 7, when you wake up, you've got six messages saying, hey, man, I called you. Why aren't you calling me back? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah. On a Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's, so, it's so different. So... No, I always feel like I could do more. I could work more. I could work more. I could achieve more quicker. But at the same time, and this is another important learning I had, it's like you can't expect others to be doing that, which is very different to sport. Be the first to training, be the last to leave. <laughs> mm. Lead by example. If people see you doing that, that's leadership, you know? Here, it's like if people see you doing that, they feel pressure. Oh, my God, he's always in before us. He's always in. Do I need to stay later? So it's just really being conscious and delivering that message to staff. Like, this is how I work, but you don't have to work like that. And you not working how I work is no blight on you. That's fine. Mm. You know, you have to be really clear with that. That's that's something I, I had to learn as well. Mm. I don't know if anyone has mentioned this to you, Bruce, but you're fairly opinionated, uh, yeah. <laughs> fairly to the point. Very much so. <laughs> Have you had to meter that at all when you become a leader in business? Yeah, massively. Yeah. Definitely. And then how does that sit with you and your personal beliefs because you know a lot of the leadership people that we've spoken to in this podcast has been about the personal ethos and beliefs should align to where you're going and 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 where the organization is that you're in so how do you deal with that sort of clash as such it's a good question um it's not easy sometimes i go home and i'm just like seriously <laughs> that really happened today or whatever but at the end of the day you're only as good as your team you can't burn people. I'm very loyal. So, you know, I'll be the first to praise the team. I'm a real team player. This is the other weird thing about corporate world. Like so many people see their 2IC or their someone who report being like better than them mm. and they try to shut them down. And I'm like, what do you mean? If you have a really good player who was 12 years old, let's just go complete extreme. You'd be like, that guy needs to play. Yeah, give <laughs> that guy the ball. I want to win the championship. And if that person's going to help us do it, do it. <laughs> Whereas it's relatively common, I would say, people will take work of others and present it as their own and not give credit. Are you joking? That person will leave and you'll be worse off for it. So very much team player, very happy to praise others. I don't need to build my profile. I, I, I don't need to do any of that stuff. So I find that empowering people, letting them do their work. If, you, if you've got good people, it makes your job easier. Mm. You've got less to do. Um, so <laughs> I really enjoy that part. But often, 
and again, I've been lucky. I've been able to shape a lot of the teams I've been in. So like a football director, brought Carl Veard in, Ross Aloisi, Carl's yep. still there doing a great job. You know, brought a lot of those players that are currently there in. I was working with a great CEO at the time. Nathan's still there, obviously. So fantastic environment. And I left there thinking everyone who touches the grass, I wouldn't change anyone. Coaches, physios, doctors, everyone. Everyone was fantastic. They're all still there. Then there was um, the Committee for Adelaide, inherited the team. I was lucky. I inherited a fantastic team, right? Now at Property Council, again, inherited a very, very good team. So I've been lucky in that, yes, some adjustments on my part to be made around expectations, how you speak to people, tone, uh, all that, as I've mentioned. But, yeah, sometimes you go home and you just think like, oh, we could do more. We could do more. But I'm still learning. I'm, I'm not some 60-year-old, been in the game 30 years, leading people. I'm still learning. But so far, I'd say so good. And I'm a very, like, I don't yell. I don't, I'm not emotional. I'm opinionated and all those things you said, yeah. <laughs> but I like to think I back that up with good reasoning. i got a real broad perspective on things. So people say to me, oh, this is so hard. I said, is that hard? Go to Indon- east of Indonesia and see what hard is. So I always bring those, like, I can't feel sorry for myself ever. Like, everything's good here. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, can't yeah. complain. Do your work. <laughs> <laughs> You've, um, you have a lot of amazing relationships. I am fortunate enough to even view you from afar in a social setting and you know everybody by name. You can shake the hands of the Premier, you can shake the hands of the groundskeeper at the Adelaide Oval. And that, I guess, has happened in a relatively short time, given how much travel you used to do and, and, you know, you lived away from here for such a long time. So how have you achieved that for people who, I guess, might want to extend their networks as such? I think it's effort. Everyone's busy. I dare to speak to someone and they say they're not busy. It doesn't happen. Everyone's busy. All those excuses, park them. But you've got to follow up with people. Very few people will bump into me one, two, three times and repeatedly say, oh, we've got to do that coffee because I'll actually follow up and organise the coffee. But I, I have a lot of that. friends. I can vouch for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I've got a lot of friends or acquaintances, other people, who bump into people repetitively. Oh, that coffee. Yeah, I'll get in touch. A month later, they bump into that same person. Ah, I've got to tell All you about right. that. So I'm I think that's you. effort. I think it's effort to yeah. follow up, okay. build those relationships. But where do you get the time? How do you manage your time yeah, to be able to do that? And herein That's, lies the challenge. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the time. That is a challenge. It's not that I bump in someone and have a coffee with them the next day. It might be six weeks down the track if I'm being totally transparent. But the intention's there. And it's non-transactional. And I think that's why I have good relationships with a lot of people because I'm not building a relationship with them because they're in my line of work or I need them to do something for me down the track or I built a lot of these relationships while I was playing and a lot of the time I was the giver. Hey, Bruce, can you get a side jersey? Do you have a couple of tickets? You know, can you organise this? Can you? And I was like, yep, 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 yep. And now I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> can we have a ch- And everything is non-transactional in nature. Uh, I think that's really important. I think it's important how you treat people, you know, like not being a prick is 
not that hard to do <laughs> and can go a bloody long way. Like, just be a nice person. Mm. Everyone's got a story. And I know people from all different backgrounds. Like you said, doesn't matter if they're running the state or the country or they used to or whatever. Everyone's got demons. That's why I don't get nervous when I speak publicly. Because I'm like, look at all these people. All with their own demons that no one knows about. Come on, there's got to be a chink in your arm. What makes you nervous then? Or where do you feel unsure? Because this lasts, I don't know, we were oh, about half an hour. Don't get me wrong. I yeah. get imposter syndrome. Right. So well, I, I want to get to this because yeah. this last half hour, I reckon anybody listening to this would be going, well, this bloke thinks he's bulletproof, he's got everything yeah, covered, yeah, yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. written the manual on leadership. So where is the chink in your armour? I get imposter syndrome, definitely. So we talk about going from football director to committee for Adelaide role. I was like, I've got no idea what I'm doing here, <laughs> technically. <laughs> like, I know I've got to reply to the emails and I know I've got to do papers for the board and I know I've got to do, you know, your day-to-day stuff. But there were days I was going home like, is that what work is? Because I'm not quite sure I've done any work today. <laughs> <laughs> so you get that imposter syndrome where what are people going to think? Are they just going to think I'm the football guy? Mm. You know, um, I think I've overcome that now but certainly first six to 12 months at the committee it was a lot like and you know it wasn't a well-known entity everyone I spoke to was, what is it you know what does it do do you do any actual anything work yeah. right <laughs> so that reinforced that yeah but again I think if you're driven you can I think the challenge I have is like family time and stuff mm. as well everything's opportunity cost mm. because you're invited to a lot of stuff and you, you want to try and please everyone. Well, how do you, you, how do you manage that, Bruce? Because you are... I've got to get better at saying no to stuff. I, I yeah. say yes to a lot of things. Yeah. The amount of times I say yes to something and an hour before, the day before, on the day, I'm like, why did I agree to this? Is that, is that including this podcast? <laughs> That's definitely checking? not. Okay, great. Definitely not including this podcast. <laughs> but that, that happens to me a lot. And I've got to get better at saying no to things. Because, and what I found was... You know, there was a period where I was on a particular board. I wasn't across the detail as I would have liked. And I actually put my hand up and said, like, I've got to step off the board because I'm just too busy. Not disparagingly, like, you know, I'm too good for you. No, no I, w- I would have loved to. But everyone's human. There's only so much you can do well. You can do everything and skate across the surface. You don't want to be that person because you'll get found out. It'll seem like you don't care, but you're just stretching yourself too thin. So getting better at saying no and getting more into the detail of of the different entities I'm involved in, important. Spending more time with the family, really important. Especially now as my kids are like, they're eight and six now. So then they will remember and they recognize when you're not there. So I'm more acutely aware of that now and I've got to... Obviously, they're my top priority. But oftentimes, you'll do a work thing and you won't be there at night. So it's really important to equalise that. Especially, I remember from when I was six, seven years old. So I'm conscious that they're at that age now where everything that happened from about then, that was material. You remember that when they're two and you've mm-hmm. gone pre-season camp for two months. But well, they don't You're care. Okay. <laughs> mm. Your wife might, though, darling. Wife does. Yeah. Wife's got a long memory. <laughs> <laughs> so then what do you do to switch off? Is it your time with your children or do you have another way that you can stop your mind worrying? It's time with the kids, really. They are the, 
I've only got two kids. They're eight and six. I don't know what it's going to be like when they're 18 and 16. I'm assuming not as fun as it is now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really conscious that these are the really lovely fun times. You know, I get to the door, they run up, Papa, come play. Papa, come do this. Come see what I did at school today. So that's really important for me. Weekends are super important. This is one of the great things. Not being in footy. Not yeah. being in sport. You get your weekends back. Notwithstanding, I do a bit of broadcast, but generally you get your weekends back. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Melbourne, brought the whole family. So the weekends are my time. I might shoot a few emails now mm. and then, but after everyone's asleep sort of thing. But they take my mind off anything because <laughs> they're so active. They're so bubbly. They're always happy, very lucky. They're healthy kids. And they've got a lot of great ideas and imagination and want to do all this stuff and that's just like playtime for me. That's really enjoyable. Mm -hmm. uh, the university's transformative leadership program looks at embracing diversity and getting people out of their comfort zone um, and how that can significantly improve the leader's abilities. You've already touched on, you know, the like the different background that you bring to a role, but how else do you see diversity as being imperative? Oh, there's strength in diversity and you say, you know, first half an hour of this, everyone will think you're bulletproof and blah, blah. I've only been successful because I've had really good teams. Like, can we just put that out there? <laughs> and I'm the first to say, hey, this wasn't even my idea. Someone brought me a great idea. I accepted it, adopted it or whatever, but don't talk to me about it. It's, it's, it's that person over there. So I'm more than happy to, you know, give credit where it's due. I've, I've, I've been in fantastic teams, but they've all been diverse different views and I always say to people a good working culture is where there's that healthy constructive criticism little bit of tension because everyone's rowing in the same direction everyone's trying to be the best and everyone's bringing a different view as soon as you got the group think and everyone's singing kumbaya that's alarm bells for me my frustration if I'm brutally honest this might be a bit controversial with <laughs> diversity is you got programs where literally diversity is gender diversity. And everyone sees things through their lens. So I speak to women and they're just like, oh, it's an all-male panel. Ah, it's all blue suits in this room. Oh, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, like there is zero colour in this room. There's no Indians, there's no Asians, there's 100% no black people here. Like I am... 99 times out of 100, I sit on a table of 10 with a big white cloth there and I could put a black pen and put a dot and that's me in the room. And you'll speak to the female who had private school upbringing in the leafy eastern suburbs and had everything given to them on a silver spoon and they'll be sucking about gender. <laughs> and I'm thinking, can you go to the east of Turkey and speak to them about gender, you are the most privileged person in some countries <laughs> and you're sucking, you're in a good position. I get it. Notwithstanding, there is problems and I'll be the first to support gender diversity and all the rest, but I think there's levels. There's levels. Very rarely I see a disabled person. Very rarely I see a black person. Very rarely I see very multicultural rooms very rarely i see balance the most thing i see is women 
in positions. So if we really want to talk about diversity and encourage it more, then we need to look at diversity holistically as opposed to just through a gender lens. But do you think that maybe the way that that has happened is that women make up 50% of the population? Therefore, yes, we're working out that diversity is strength. However, that was the biggest group to be able to bring along for this ride. So now is the time. Oh, I get you. Well, you know, well, ten well, years fact, ago was the time. Yeah, hundred years ago was the time. I was just about to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but I, I, this I, is where we're at. So this needs to be the push now. Completely agree with the push, but we should be pushing in all directions. I think yeah, that's what no, I'm that's trying what, to say. Yeah. We, sh- we should yeah. be pushing in all directions. And, and don't just tick off. We've got women on the board now, so our diversity issue is done. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Like, and and that's a power thing. You, I don't need to tell you this, but. That's a power thing because everyone's for something until they're impacted by it and all of a sudden (laughs) their tone starts to change. But my point is there's strength in diversity definitely and diversity is more than just gender diversity, but you're 100% right. We need to make that push. When you played football, you knew what the win was. The win was the win, right? It was the more goals. Yeah, the more (laughs) goals and it was very, very clear. For you in the corporate landscape and as a leader, what is the win? How do you know that you've done a good job? Feedback. There's no clear line on where the win is. It's not as clear cut. But I think being reviewed by your peers, being reviewed by, you know, I'm in charge of a membership funded organisation. They're the boss. It's not me. It's the members. And I ask a lot of questions mm-hmm. <laughs> because I never have the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so I just ask and people will give you the answer. Obviously, you've got to make the final decisions on things. But I think I know if I'm doing a good job in this particular role, if my members, our members, property council members are satisfied. That was the same at Committee for Adelaide. At Adelaide United, it was how the players feeling, what's the culture like, what's the temperature, and what are the results on the field. But it's more than just the results on the field. And obviously winning and losing is the be-all and end-all at the end of the day, but there's more to just winning and losing. You know, Are we producing good men? Are we producing good women, not just footballers? Hmm. You know, so the, the, those things were important. Um, and yeah, in my current role, it's don't worry, members will tell me if I'm doing a good, <laughs> good, good, good job or not. But yeah. All right. Well, as we come to the conclusion of this, I'm going to finish with the question that we put to everybody on this podcast to wrap up. What have you learned from being a leader that you wish you'd known right at the start of your career? I would say you're not always right. <laughs> 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 but I think I already knew that. Um, what have I learned as a leader that I wish I'd already known? Mm, at the start of your career. I would say better understanding the impact my words have on people. Mm-hmm. I, I underestimate that sometimes, a lot of times. Less so now, I've learned. <laughs> but at the start, right, you just say exactly what you felt and meant and mm. all with good intentions. Well, that's because how you've been conditioned all the way through footy. That's right. So yeah. that's that adjustment piece that we spoke about earlier. But if I'd known that at the start, I could have avoided some landmines, yeah, if I'm being brutally honest. And when you talk landmines, do you mean relationship 
breakdowns, oh, anger, whatever. No? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. More difficult conversations than they otherwise would have Got had it. to be. And you don't know what people do when they go home. But over time, you understand, like, you know what, that hurt that person. Or what? It, there was mm-hmm. a better way to deliver that same message. Um, that's, that's what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much for your time. There is not a dishonest bone in your body, and I think we've brewed that once again, Bruce Chate. And in the meantime, should we catch up for coffee? We should. <laughs> I'll slot it into your calendar. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Leveling Up, your leadership podcast. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow Pace at the University of Adelaide on LinkedIn for more on how you can take your career to new heights.